Well, may the words of my mouth, the thoughts of all our hearts be now and always acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, our gospel today is a wonderful and powerful portrayal of change. A life-changing moment in the life of Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, as he receives the gift of sight and much more. But it's a different change that most intrigued me and drew my attention. The sudden change in the attitude of some in the festival crowd. And I want to explore both this morning. Let's start with Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. Unless we personally experience the loss of our sight, and even more, its recovery, it's hard to comprehend exactly what that would be like, what that would mean for a person. To be able to see again the faces of friends and loved ones, to be able to read their expressions, their smiles, their frowns, their tears, their thoughtfulness. To go from being dependent on others to independence, for with restored sight comes ability to manage daily life, to hold down a trade, to feel valued by the community, taking up our fullest place in society, without having to rely on other people's charity or pity. It makes Jesus's question quite surprising, perhaps even appear a bit ridiculous. What do you want me to do for you? Isn't it obvious that the question is important? Plenty of differently able people don't want or need fixing. Part of valuing Bartimaeus as a child of God, treating him as a mature person, someone independently minded, is to ask what he wants. His life might not be what we'd want, but he's not us or Jesus, and needs to be met on his own terms and respected. It puts me in mind of my time in Vellore, South India, almost 30 years ago, when surgeons at CMC Hospital voiced their frustration regarding a beggar who wouldn't let them remove what they saw as his deformity. He ostensibly refused because it was his source of income. The curious paid a few rupees to see it. But I wonder, was his reluctance also because it was part of him and so bound up with his sense of identity? It's always dangerous to assume what others need or want. Well, meaning people have done real damage when they've taken away others' choices, not respecting their autonomy. Thankfully, this is something increasingly recognized in our world today. And we see Jesus in our gospel recognizing it 2000 years ago. I guess we're probably unsurprised that Jesus was ahead of his time. However, Bartimaeus does want to see. In answer to Jesus's question, replying, Rabbi, let me see again. And so Jesus restores his sight. Imagine the sense of wonder in Bartimaeus and in those around him. More than just receiving his sight, Bartimaeus is commended for his faith. The faith that first drove him to shout out to Jesus, desperate to be heard, to be noticed. His voice rising above the protests of those around him, 
refusing to be drowned out by those who kept telling him to shut up and keep quiet. More than that, Bartimaeus, we're told, followed Jesus in the way. The way along the road out of Jericho, joining the festival throng traveling to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. Who cut branches from the trees to wave in celebration. Who lay a path for Jesus to ride along as they shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna. The fact that Bartimaeus' name is recorded, that we're talking about him, and this moment 2,000 years later, almost certainly points to the fact that Bartimaeus was a known figure, part of the early Christian community. That he continued in the way, capital T, capital W. The way of Jesus that leads through the cross to resurrection and new life. Thanks to the gospel record, Bartimaeus's life-changing encounter with Jesus becomes a universal sign for what faith in Jesus can do. Every person who trusts him, offering life in all its fullness, helping us to see the world and each other more clearly, to have renewed vision as we focus our eyes on God and God's promised kingdom. Now on to the other change that I said intrigued me, the sudden change in attitude among some of those in the festival crowd. If you've ever stood on tiptoes trying to catch a glimpse of someone famous, desperately hoping they might notice you and wave, or better still stop to sign an autograph, then perhaps you can picture the scene at the side of this Jericho street. As a section of the crowd turns as one toward their noisy neighbor lying slumped against the wall behind them, telling him to shut up, supremely irritated by his repeated shouting at the top of his voice, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. They're also eager to see Jesus of Nazareth, the man whose immense reputation precedes him, a man rumored to be Messiah. And they're confident a great and holy man such as Jesus won't want to be bothered by this difficult and demanding person a blind beggar, clearly under God's curse, will likely badger him for food or money. They worry that far from attracting Jesus's attention, this man will scare him away. How wrong they are. Jesus stops. The carnival atmosphere subsides and then Jesus ushers those standing closest to call the man over. Their attitude to Bartimaeus changes in an instant as suddenly they're aware that they'll be judged by their treatment of him. Take heart, get up, he's calling you, they say, as they help Bartimaeus to his feet and lead him by the hand, affording them the opportunity to come alongside him into Messiah's presence. I wonder, with their prejudice laid bare, did their worldview shift, challenged by the man they so admired, who regarded this blind beggar, valuing him enough to call him over, even to ask, what do you want me to do for you? We can't know whether that change happened. But it's significant to me that all this took place in Jericho, the prosperous city of palms and location of Herod's winter palace, home to that widely despised tyrant, 
a place famous for its immense walls, walls designed to keep its privileged residents secure. Yet walls that famously fell when another Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, came to town. Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, literally means savior. And like the Yeshua before him, this Yeshua, Jesus, also comes to tear down walls. The walls that separate us, saving us from prejudice and spiritual blindness. Saving us from the fear-driven worldviews that prevent life in all its fullness, that limit people, denying their vocation, their gifts. Whether because of their disabilities or because of their gender or race or class or age or their education, wealth, culture, sexuality or religious background. Remember, this Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners, spoke with a Samaritan woman, touched lepers, even held up the Roman centurion as an example to follow. As I've reflected on this moment described in Mark's Gospel, I've thought about all the changes that have happened in me. The repeated challenges to my own prejudices, the ways in which my own worldview has shifted for the better in so many ways. My mind has been taken right back to when I was 11 or 12 and to a conversation I had with my dad. I vividly remember the moment, sitting alongside him in the front of our old Ford Cortina, which sat on the driveway of our house in Harrow. Just him and me. And him asking what I thought about women becoming vicars. This was 1982, three years before the first women were ordained deacon. My dad had just arrived home from General Synod, where there'd been a debate. He was working at Church House Westminster at the time. I was excited he was asking my opinion, something that had never happened before. I confidently pronounced, of course women shouldn't be vicars, crazy idea. It wasn't a considered answer. It wasn't based on any theological or biblical grounding, simply born out of my very limited experience. Vicars had always been men as far as I knew. Truth is, I said what I thought he wanted to hear because I looked up to my dad and needed his affirmation. I don't remember exactly what my dad said next, except that he firmly put me right, explaining there was no good reason why women shouldn't be vicars. My prejudice lay bare, I felt a bit sick inside, but chastened, challenged, my worldview shifted. It was the first of many moments of conversion. As I come towards a close, I want to leave us with a number of questions and a warning. Thinking first of Jericho and the crowd that thronged to see Jesus, no doubt curious to see what all the fuss was about, but crucially longing for change, I wonder what would get the people of Springfield, Spark Hill or Mosley thronging in the street. Who would you rush to see? What changes do you long for? Thinking next of Bartimaeus, have you ever been shouted down? Found your voice silenced, your gifts and vocation smothered? Do you hear the voice of Jesus today asking what he can do for you? Do you rejoice to have your eyes opened to share God's vision? 
Have you accepted Jesus's invitation to follow him in the way? Thinking of those in the festival crowd whose attitude is challenged and changed, are you aware of some of the blind spots, the biases or prejudices that most of us unconsciously carry? Have you ever held others back, become an obstacle to others' discipleship? Have you reached your own moment of conversion? Do you long for the walls of fear to fall? so that every vocation and gift can find expression, so that all God's people can be set free to know life in all its fullness? Do you delight when others very different from you are invited to follow Jesus in the way? And have you accepted your own invitation to follow? I wonder what changes have already taken place in you what further conversions Jesus desires in you and in me. The warning. The warning is that the way of Jesus we're called to follow while liberating and life-giving is also costly. It leads to life in all its fullness, to resurrection, but the cross can't be avoided. This Holy Week will recall our collective failure revealed in Judas's betrayal, Peter's denial, the disciples' vanishing act, Pilate's abdication of responsibility, and the festival crowd's murderous intent as they cried, crucify. Faced with a world that's complicated and confusing, a world which can be harsh and uncaring, a world that offers easy escapism, we too may be tempted to turn aside to turn our back on Jesus and the good news, or worse, betray him and the hope that he's planted in us. Our salvation lies in love. Love is the basis on which we must regard each other in all our glorious differences, whilst treasuring this rich and fragile world that we share. Love is the lens through which we must judge all our attitudes and actions, helping us to recognize the contradictions and where we need to change. Love is the only force strong enough to keep us faithful when the going gets tough, propelling us to look outwards, serving others with joy and a smile. Love is the power that will redeem us when we inevitably fail. Love is eternal. In the end, as Bartimaeus could testify, Love wins. Amen.